It's 2021, the year of becoming, and we've been walking through this Esther series, right? The Queen's Gambit. Now, to me, it's kind of been like, like a TV show, you know what I mean? Like we've been walking through and watching episode after episode, and when you get to the final episode, and that's where we're at today, we're in part five out of five. There's a bittersweetness that comes with that. There's a little bit of a, man, I can't wait to hear the end, but oh shoot, we're gonna hear the end, right? Like I, I wish it was kind of longer, right? There's more to the story. Well. Praise God, we actually have all kinds of stuff planned for you after this. There's more shows coming, right? There's more stuff coming in. We got all kinds of exciting stuff for you. But we do need to close out this series. And I entitled today's message, Our God, Our Deliverer. Now I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a lengthy intro, right? That you're going to be like, man, this guy's still on the intro. All right, that's all right. Don't worry about it. The rest of the message is a little shorter. But I want to lay a very thick foundation that's very, very important for every single Christian to know. I'm going to begin by stating three facts. They build upon one another. If you are a note taker, you might want to take some notes throughout this episode, and then we'll be able to learn a little bit more and reflect upon it. Here we go with our three facts. Number one. This world is broken and its people are broken. Is that true? Yeah. There is so much suffering in this world. And there's so many people hurting other people. That is a fact. Number two, fact. There is still an active enemy alive and well. Is that true? Yes. Indeed, there is the enemy, Satan, who is still trying to actively harm what God loves. Well, God loves us. So he's constantly causing more damage to us. But number three, and this is the most important one to write down, but God has not left his people unarmed or vulnerable. But God has not left his people unarmed or vulnerable. And I'm going to make a case for you that you would walk out of here with your head held high and you would not only not feel like a victim, but you would feel like a victor. And I would suggest to you that if you fully embrace a Christian identity, the enemy should be far more nervous than you are. Amen? Amen. Let's get into this. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul the Apostle gave us a metaphor to describe God's defense system. He called it the armor of God. You know this, yeah? All right, so let's just, this is kind of how it begins. Genesis, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He then describes each piece of the armor and says, make sure that that is a part of your life. He begins with the belt of truth. 
The Bible says that truth will set you free, right? Anywhere you're going to find truth, you're going to find Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the truth. But when you have the truth, you don't have to live in confusion. You don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to live grasping, is there meaning to the universe? When you have the truth, it helps you navigate the mess. You track it with me? As a matter of fact, when you have the truth, you are able to combat the lies that may well unravel you. So he calls it the belt, which kind of keeps your drawers up, right? Does that make sense? When, man, world's getting complicated, you might lose your pants. So you, you got to have that belt on, right, holding that up. All right, number two, he said, I want you to put on a breastplate of righteousness, There are two ways to silence the life of a human being, and that is a kill shot to the heart or to the head. Thankfully, God has protection for both. He talks about putting on a breastplate of righteousness, and here's why that's so important. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective, yeah? Now, here's the problem. What we end up defaulting to is we say, you know what? I believe that. However, I'm not righteous. You should see my life. It is not perfect. That's why he gave you a breastplate of righteousness. He, on the cross, bought the ability to trade his for yours. He now gives you a shielding of righteousness that you didn't earn. It is called the grace and mercy of God that you are now given or imputed his righteousness upon you and you are now able to stand before the Lord and walk into the holy of holies because you have been purified by God. Amen? Amen. The third thing he gives us is he said, I'm going to give you shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? It means everywhere you walk, you should walk with a little bounce in your step. That's what it means. Why? Because you have good news in your shoes. You understand what I'm talking about? That you have the good news. No matter what anyone brings to you, you have a solution. His name is Jesus. Therefore, wherever you're going to go, whatever you're going to be asked, You can talk about the peace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you need to then take that in those shoes everywhere you go. Amen? Fourth thing that he gives us, he said, I want you to take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, I'm not talking about one of those little Viking shields. I'm talking about a Roman centurion shield. Those are kind of almost people length. You know what I'm talking about? Those big old shields. And the reason why that's important is those shields are used for both advancing and shielding. And what I mean by that is the Bible says that shield of faith can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Bridgeway, what does all mean in Greek? All. All, praise God. In other words... It can shut down all the lies and attacks of the enemy. So some days you're going to use your faith, and faith means locking in what God said as fact, right? If God said it, that settles it. Are we all tracking on that? That's faith. So 
what we end up doing is we lock in in confidence, and sometimes that allows us to take new territory. We put that shield in front of us, and we march forward, pushing back that which would stand against God. But on your worst day, you know how in the movies you would see this volley of arrows that starts turning the sky dark? On the worst day, you know what you do with your shield? You just hide under it. You just hold it down, turn it over you, and let all those arrows hit and all fall off. Sometimes we got to hunker down and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You're not taking any territory that day. You're just hanging on to your sanity, yeah? Number five, what he gives us is what's called a helmet of salvation. Once again, protecting our brain, our head. Once again, lies are coming in all over the place. Satan is referred to as the adversary and the accuser. That stuff messes with your head. What you need to realize is by the grace of God, he has saved you. Though we were yet sinners, though the enemy could accuse us, though he would even be accurate in his accusations, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means you are locked down and you are protected. And it doesn't matter what lies he's trying to pop in there. You can say, I am saved. I am a child of God. Amen? Amen. But he ain't done. There are two weapons that he gives us to use. So are we defensive? Yes. Are we offensive? Yes. The first weapon that he gives us is called the sword of the spirit. The sword of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Bible. The word of God, that which comes out of the mouth of God, is able to divide both soul and spirit. It is absolutely brilliant in dismantling what the enemy brings out. The sword of the Spirit, one of the things that's so beautiful about it is it reveals what the Father wants It talks about Jesus being the word of God, and yet it is all empowered by the Holy Spirit. You got Trinity power in the Bible. So we need to know this Bible backward and forward. We need to know right and wrong. We need to know how to navigate the darkness of this world, and God uses it as a flashlight, yeah? So we have the sword of the Spirit with which we can do some serious damage. But that is not our only weapon. That same passage says that we should pray at all times in every occasion. Why? As I shared with you earlier, the prayers of a righteous man and woman are powerful and effective. Therefore, prayer alters reality. Prayer is the way that God uses his kids as a channel to bring heaven to earth. Why? Because he wants it that way. That's why. So he created a system whereby he triggers things based off the prayers of his kids. So we need to be able to utilize that. I think about it, if we're talking about armor, I think about it in a little more modern warfare context. In recent wars, there have been things called ground assaults and air assaults. And what that means is that Before you're going to go in and take territory, 
Sometimes you call in air support, and they come in with the planes and bomb the area out so that it knocks out most of the installations of the enemy so you can advance on the ground. That's how I think of prayer and the Word of God. Before you go into any scenario, you are going to call up on the radio, yeah? God, we need your help. I need you to clear the area. That's called spiritual warfare. All of a sudden, in comes screaming the angels, right? And they clear the area. Then you march forward and you do the slicing and dicing with the word of God, yeah? This is how Christians operate. Now, in Matthew 12, it records that Jesus was casting out some demons. You want to talk about spiritual warfare, let's talk about head to head. And the religious leaders of the time didn't like Jesus. And they were trying to figure out how do we justify that he's on the other side. So they said, you know what? We think you cast out demons because you got demons. And he said, hold up. First of all, that's stupid. (laughs) Second of all, the reason why I can do that is I carry the kingdom of God power. He said, let me tell you a story. How would you normally go into a really strong man's house and steal his stuff? What do you do? You bind the strong man first, then you can take his gear. You know why I'm walking around knocking these demons out? It's because I already bound the strong man. He is now limited in his power, and I can go in and take whatever I want from his territory. They were like, ooh, I don't like that answer, right? (laughs) Right? But he wasn't done. This is what I, all this stuff to me is fascinating. When Jesus taught, people were shocked because he taught with authority. When Jesus healed, people freaked out because of the authority he wielded. When he fought spiritual warfare, people had never seen that type of authority. But here's the best part about it. He didn't just keep the authority and power to himself. He gave it to his followers. I just need you to let that soak in for a second. Are you a follower of Jesus? This might involve you. Listen to this. In Matthew 10, 1, and Jesus called to him his 12 disciples. We call them apostles now. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. And you go, dang, I missed a sweet opportunity. I wish I would have been one of those 12, because how cool to walk in the authority and power of Jesus Christ. Well, hold on. That was the first ring. Do you realize there was another ring that went outside of that? They weren't the 12. They were called the 72. As a matter of fact, they were the other followers of Jesus, just a bunch of hardcore folks out there. Jesus said, I'm going to start doing some regional ministry. I need you guys to go out ahead of me and clear the area spiritually so that I can come in and get done what I want to do. So I'm going to empower you. Listen to what happened when they got back from their trip. Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said, you bet, kids, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And you're like, dude, I missed another killer opportunity. Uh, maybe I couldn't have been in the 12, but I could have been in the 72. That would have been sweet. Hold up. There's another ring outside of that. As a matter of fact, that ring ends up including all followers, time-wide and worldwide. How do we know that? Because it is based on the Great Commission. Does anyone here argue that the Great Commission is not for Christians today? Anybody argue that? I don't think so. You go, well, hold up, what's the Great Commission? As Jesus was leaving this planet, he had one last talk to give to his people that followed him. And here's what he said. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So you go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He did not say to the end of today. He did not say to the end of this generation. He said to the end of the age. That means while we're still here, he's still present. Amen? That means it involves us. Now, he wasn't done. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, more of that story was told. Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah? You are marked as a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a walking container for the kingdom of God. Everywhere you go, heaven is present. Yeah? If that is the case, we need to start understanding our authority and our power. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, you have so much power, church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Meaning, wherever Satan has a bondage, wherever Satan has a stronghold, wherever Satan has territory, if you get after it and go in the power of the Holy Spirit, it can't stand. Yeah? That's a big deal. Are we utilizing that? 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. How much more evidence do you need that you are locked and loaded to do anything you need to do? Amen? Amen. Here's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. If you're watching online, that's on the app. Here you go. We are built for victory. We are built for victory. Did I make my case? Yeah. Amen. All right. So 
What we do not do as Christians is walk around with our heads low. We do not walk with a victim mentality. We do not walk as if Satan gets to bully us and pick on us. You see, Jesus, when he came into town, made demons awfully nervous, right? Because they knew what was coming. When Jesus touched a leper, he did not get leprosy. The leprosy got him. You understand what I'm talking about? So I don't want us feeling like we have to be back on our heels. I want us leaning forward for aggression towards the enemy, towards the spiritual forces, not towards other people. People are not our problem. The enemy we have is world, flesh, devil. I need you to go take territory, all of it. Anything that is in your sphere of influence I need you to go after it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to get into the book of Esther, and you're going to see how all this ties in, yeah? You're like, ah, shoot, I thought the service was over. (laughs) Oh, no, it is not. We just got rolling, right? Right? Don't ever assume you're getting out early. Praise God, all right? So, not everybody has been with us during this television show, right? So, previously on Esther, uh... Young nobody Jewish girl ends up winning a national competition for beauty, ends up becoming the next queen of the Persian Empire. Her adopted dad, Mordecai, gets into a beef with a bad guy at work named Haman. As a matter of fact, Haman is the right-hand man of the king. He's very, very powerful. Haman decides, I don't just want to kill Mordecai, I found out that guy's a Jew. I want to kill all Jews in all of our kingdom. So he ends up having the king sign a contract that says that on a specific day coming up, everyone that hates Jews in the Persian kingdom is allowed to annihilate all Jewish people, steal all their stuff with government protection. The Jews are horrified. Mordecai freaks out. He goes to Esther and says, Esther, you've got to do something. You have to talk to your psycho husband, right? And she's like, hold on. I don't think you get this. We don't talk. He moved on from me a long time ago. As a matter of fact, I haven't even seen that dude in a month, right? And he is so unstable. If I go into his workplace without being asked, He might cut off my head, like I could die through this. He said, but Esther, don't you think this is the whole reason why you're in the palace in the first place? She said, all right, Dad. You pray and fast, I'll pray and fast, and let's see what happens. She goes in before the king. It goes well. Esther, so good to see you. What can I do for you? Well, I'd love for you and Haman to come to a party. All right, cool. Yeah, love it. We'll be at your place. They go and they have a party. It goes great. The evening winds down. Esther, what's up? What can I do for you? I give you up to half the kingdom. Like, I'll do anything for you. Well, I guess what I'd really want is for you and Haman to come back for a second party. Okay, cool. We can do that. They come back for the second party. They're eating and drinking throughout the night. The night wears down. Esther, I totally appreciate seeing more of you. I think this is super fun. I love this whole thing, right? 
what are we doing here? I don't really get it. Like, you obviously need something from me. I'll give you anything you want. All right, here's what I need. I need you to protect me. I'm sorry, what's that? I need you to protect me and I need you to protect my family. I need you to protect my people. There is a plot going on right now to kill your queen, to kill me, to kill my family, and to kill all my people in your kingdom. And he's like, what are you talking about? Haman's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he goes, who would dare to ever lay hand on my queen? You're my wife. I'm the biggest, baddest dude in the entire planet. Who would dare attack your family or you? And she said, that guy right there. He's like, what are you talking about? Haman's like, ah, right? He freaks out. The king goes ballistic. He gets mad. Haman's trying to beg for his life. It only gets worse. Haman ends up getting killed over the whole thing. And you're like, man, I'm so glad that guy's gone. Things are looking up. There's only one problem. Death day is still on the calendar. That's a bit of an oversight. Yeah, Esther is saved. Haman is gone. But the purge day still exists. And that's where we left off last week. Let's pick it up, all right? Here we go. Esther chapter eight, verse three. Esther chapter eight, verse three. If you missed any of those episodes, you might wanna go back and listen to them. It's actually quite a treat, right? Super fun to go through the series and learn about how it applies to our lives. All that stuff is free online for you. Esther chapter eight, verse three. Now I'm gonna paraphrase as we close this book out. Paraphrase a little bit, read a little bit, right? So I'm going to paraphrase at the beginning. So the king leaves that whole crazy scene and goes back to work. But he never solved the bigger problem. So that puts Esther in the very uncomfortable position that she now has to go in before him without him asking for her. Remember, that was the big problem in the first place. She could get killed even this time. And what's interesting is she's already been guaranteed her safety. If you remember, her dad said, don't think that you're going to escape this. Don't think that you're going to get away. We're all going down because we're Jews. She already secured safety for her and her dad. She could have just called it at this point and let happen what happened. But she pressed in for total victory. And that requires an awful lot of work, pressing in for total victory. Let me ask you a question. Are you pressing in for total victory in your life? What would that mean? What would that, mean? What would that look like? Is it possible that God has more freedom for you than you are currently experiencing? Is it possible that you have become okay with a certain level of bondage in your life that God's not? Is it possible that the addiction you cannot even imagine being free from is something that God has on his calendar? Are you pressing in for total victory? And if not, why not? I got a story for you. There's a king in the Old Testament, his name was Joash. He was constantly in battle with the nation of Syria. 
But he happened to have connection with, with, with one of the most miraculous, cool guys in the world. His name was Elijah. So Joash and he would talk quite a bit, and Elijah reached out to him and he said, hey, I need you to come over to my place. I have something I need to show you. So Joash comes in and there's a bow and arrow and a quiver full of arrows, and he said, hey, pick that up. I need you to shoot an arrow out that window. Well, sir, I'm not much of an archer. That's cool. It's going to be an easy one, right? We're going to go ahead and shoot it out the window. As a matter of fact, I'm going to kind of reach around you in a very cute way, right? I'm going to kind of put my hands around. We'll draw the bow back together. We're only trying to shoot it out the window. We'll get close to the window, right? I have no idea who's in the courtyard. We'll figure that out later. I raise people from the dead. We're cool. All right. So what I want you to do is let's go ahead. And, all right. And boo, we shot that out there. All right, cool. What direction is that? Well, sir, that's east. That is correct. What is east from here? Sir, that is Syria. Ah, so that's who you've had a problem with, yeah? Yes. All right, cool. There's something else that I need you to do. Well, sir, that was really weird right there. Well, there's something else I need you to do. I need you to grab a handful of arrows out of that quiver, and I need you to hit the ground with it. Sir, that is not what one does with arrows. Okay, cool. Did I ask you to do it or not? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so hit the arrow. Hit the ground with the arrows. Like, like heart, hit the ground with the arrows. Okie dokie. <laughs> Tappity tap tap. All right. Woo. Woo. What am I doing here? And Elijah's face falls. That's all you got. You hit the ground three times. Should have hit the ground five or six times. You know why? Because now you're only going to win over Syria three times and they're going to bounce back. And you will always have a problem with them till the day you die. You never pressed in. You didn't take this seriously. You were not interested in total victory. You know what? This is going to be a problem now. You see, what I'm looking for is someone that's going to own it. What I'm looking for is someone that is going to take this seriously. When I tell you to hit the ground, you hit the ground. And you keep hitting the ground until I say that you should stop. Oh, dang. He didn't even know what was going on. Let me ask you again. Are you pressing in for total victory in your life? And if not, why? Is it the same reason why King Joash didn't? Because what was that? I'm not quite sure what we're doing here. Not quite sure how this whole God thing works. Like, what are you talking about? Pressing in for total victory. What do you want me to do? Oh, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a couple things that the Bible says. Like, that's really gonna help me in my addiction? Is that what you're telling me? Okay, cool, I'll check that box, whatever. Tappity tap tap, that's cool. I'll do my devotions and I'll do my... You know what I'm looking for, God says? I'm looking for someone that takes it seriously. I'm looking for someone that's going to own it. I don't need you to just pacify me. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. So all you got to do, suddenly what? You're cool with compromise? You're cool with letting all this stuff go on? I'm not. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to chase after you till you're mature enough to figure it out. Then we'll get some real victory. Oh, wow. Yeah? Esther didn't give up. It was not about her just being safe. It was to save the Jewish people. She's got more work to do. And so she leans in. All right. Here was the king's response. She goes in. The king's like, Esther, it's good to see you. Sorry about our last date. That got a little bit weird. I killed a guy. Anyway, what do you need from me? And she's like, well, 
you know what? Totally appreciate the protection in that moment. Problem is, yep, all my people are still getting killed. That's kind of a problem. I'd like you to help me resolve that. What can we do? And he said, well, that's not really my lane. Can't really help you out there. But I will tell you this, you know, Haman used my ring, and that's a sign on my behalf. So whatever he put into play, we can't stop that. Because that just makes me look weak. You can't go, oh, sorry, we messed up. No, no, no. If I sign it, it's legit forever. That's kind of how it works here in the Persian kingdom. So whatever you and Mordecai come up with, I'm totally cool. I'll give you my ring. Here you go. You guys take it. Figure out whatever you got, but you can't stop the last one. All right? That was his answer. I don't think he was really helpful in the brainstorming. You know what I mean? And maybe he's just like doesn't understand how to do that stuff, but he hands it to Mordecai. Mordecai comes up with a plan. And this is a very interesting plan. Esther chapter 8, verse 10. And Mordecai wrote in the name of the king and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses. Verse 11 saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. All right, let's recap. That's a weird answer. Hey, you know what our answer is? We'll kill you too. Now, here's what we have. Civil war. We have the Jews with governmental protection to rise up, and now that everyone has outed themselves as being anti-Jewish, they know who the enemies are because those guys thought they were protected by the government. On that day, it is going to be mega bloodshed. It is going to be one team attacking the other team, and they're going to go after it. Now, in one sense, I got to say, that is a messed up answer. But in another sense, the Jews were pumped because before they were just gonna get slaughtered with no ability to defend themselves. So this was a win for them. So they were joyful. Take a look at verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city shouted and rejoiced. And I love this line, verse 16. May this be true for America someday. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews. For fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Okay, hold up. That was weird. We were doing fine for a second. We just went off the rails there. What? People converted to Judaism over this edict. Why in the world are you just I'm totally Jewish now. Uh, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. I converted yesterday. Okay, why? At some point, they realized there was a bad thing happening and the Jews were being oppressed and they thought, you know what, that's not good, that's not right. And you know what, the more I see about the movement of God in their lives, I really wanna be on the good side of this fight. So, ta-da, I'm Jewish. 
okay, that was weird. Well, then the day comes. Viva la resistance. Right? Now comes the great mighty battle. This is the, the fight of the Jews against their enemies. And boy, was it bloody. Man, it got all riled up, and the Jews started getting after it. They started with like, man, we are good at this killing. Man, we are all about it. So they started hacking and slashing their enemies, right? And they're like, woo! And then they end up killing Haman's 10 sons, right? If you remember, Haman's a bad guy. Well, if his sons get in power, that's going to be a major problem. So they take out his whole lineage. And then, and this is the weirdest part of the story that I should not be laughing at, it is not funny, side note, is Esther goes to the king to ask for an extra killing day. <laughs> Honey, we are so good at this. I really feel like we found our groove. So all I'm saying is that we're on a roll, and, and I would just hate to end this without doing what we can, you know what I'm saying? Just one more day of killing, that'd be great. <laughs> all right, babe, cool and they wipe out their enemies. And they establish a national holiday called Purim. As a matter of fact, this book is primarily in the Bible to explain why the holiday exists. It is still being celebrated by the Jews today. Pure of Purim means lots or casting dice or flipping a coin. Why? Because Haman determined the day to kill all the Jews by rolling dice. So they called the festival Rolling the Dice. Mordecai gets officially Haman's job and they live happily ever after. Yay! Right? And you're like, oh man, that was pretty awesome. That's good, that's good. I got a twist for you. You ready? Tell me if you've heard this one. <clears throat> A uh, super powerful bad guy wants to wipe out a whole bunch of people. Because the initial contract was signed saying the bad guy's in charge, it's not revoked immediately, but a second contract is signed. The second contract declares that the bad guys do not have all the power, but that the oppressed people group have the right to fight back. They're allowed to do so by the authorization and power from the king. The oppressed people end up winning and celebrate their victory. Have you heard this story? You're like, uh, yes, sir, you just preached it. Thanks. Oh, you thought I was talking about Esther. Oh, I'm not talking about Esther. Do you know what I'm talking about? A super powerful bad guy by the name of Satan came into the Garden of Eden and got a contract signed called Sin and Death. And we handed that over and he became in charge of this world. And it was going ugly, but God put another plan into play. As a matter of fact, there was a, another contract that was signed. God didn't immediately revoke the first contract and stop everything. He was going to do that later on. But in the new contract, and by the way, do you know the other word for contract? Covenant. In the new covenant in Jesus Christ... 
The strong man was bound. The super bad guy does not get all the power he wants. It has now been bound and limited. The oppressed people group, human beings, by and large Christians, have the ability to fight back with the power and authority of the king. And then, guess what happens in the end? We win and celebrate our victory. Amen? Amen? Bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> Colossians 2.13, you who were dead in your sins, God made alive with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Oh, and remember all those converts to Judaism? Why do you think people become Christians today? Oh, they suddenly realize there's an oppressive program going on, and they start seeing there's a power of God that is legit in believers, and they start realizing they're on the wrong team, and suddenly they want to convert. Hmm. As we close out, there are two groups of people I want to pray for. Number one, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not declared yourself a follower of Jesus and let him heal you, cleanse your sins, but now today your eyes are more open and you see that you've been getting played by the enemy. The whole I live for myself, that's not really a thing, you guys. Somebody's ruling the show. It's God or Satan. You're not a big enough dog to play in that game. So you're either getting played by the enemy or saved by Jesus. If that awareness has come upon you and you want to get saved, guess what? Today is your day of salvation. Jesus is standing with arms wide open saying, just come to me, I can make it right. That's the first group. The second group is those of us that are Christians, and we don't fully embrace our authority, power. Some of us still believe that bondage is stronger than Jesus. Some of us are still believing that when the enemy shows up, we should get nervous. I'm going to pray with the mantle and authority of pastor of this church, an anointing over you of power, authority, and victory. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, here we are before you, and we ask that you might save us. God, there are some of us that just now have realized that you're the right side, that you're the right team. And so, God, we say right now, we don't know how all the Christianity stuff works, but we want to be saved. 
We want to be healed. We want Jesus, whatever you did on the cross, to be true for us. We admit that we've been living for ourselves, and we want to no longer. We want to live for you. So we ask right now, God, that you would transform us, that you would change us, that you would give us your grace, that you would make us children of God. God, there's some of us that are your kids, and we've been walking with you a long time, but we do not demonstrate neither the full victory that you promised us, nor do we demonstrate our head being held high and taking enemy territory. Lord, we're not, we're not understanding fully how powerful you have made us. We are not understanding that when the enemy shows up, they ought to be nervous because we not only have your indwelling power, not only do we have your indwelling authority, but you as our bodyguard are standing right behind us. So God, I pray that we would move from a victim and to that of a victor. I pray in the name of Jesus a breakthrough in all the areas that are holding us back. I pray in the name of Jesus the shattering of the strongholds of addiction. I pray in the name of Jesus a freedom to come into our lives from being picked on by the enemy. In the name of Jesus, I pray a protection over all those that can hear my voice that are children of God. I pray, Lord, in in this moment, an anointing over this church that we might be further empowered, further anointed, further authorized to be able to advance the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Amen.